Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you hear this message from Pastor Gary Hay. I remember, like it was yesterday, I was in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, uh, speaking at a, a citywide meeting there. Myself and another man were conducting several days of meetings in that uh, oil city. And uh, it, was, it was a tremendous time. But I, I remember sitting on my bed in the hotel as a young guy, I just didn't feel like I was up to the task. I just, you know, it just was one of those things that the, the obligations and the needs and so forth, you just feel like, you know, I'm not really up for this. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have enough to, 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 to help people like I want to help people. And I felt so inadequate as a, as a leader and as a speaker and so forth. And, um, I, I picked up a little brochure kind of thing that I had that I'd had in my Bible for a while, and, and it was written by a fantastic pastor by the name of Judson Cornwall. And I remember even today the the, the graphics on the front of that little pamphlet uh, that said "God in a Styrofoam Cup." I thought, wow, that's an interesting title. And I, I began to look at it and read it. And God did something in my heart that day that still is just as fresh today as ever. And I want to share part of that message with you today because it is something that I feel like so many believers uh, need to hear. And I'm going to take you this morning in the beginning through a, a process. And I want to develop some things for us that I think are significant, that I know are significant because it's laid out in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, just what God is trying to do through His church. And so I would like to take you there this morning, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 9 through 16. I'm going to read that passage to us. It says, Now this, He ascended, what does it mean but that He also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Talk, speaking of Christ after His death. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That word equipping there is a powerful word that has a restorative capability. It talks about, it's the very word that would be used if we were describing what a surgeon was doing to set a broken limb uh, and cast that limb so that it would recover its full use and full strength. In addition, it was used often for, say, a, a ship that had been damaged and, and maybe derelicted for a while and uh, that's the same word that would be used when that ship would be restored and, and, and enabled to go to sea again and to, to do what it was designed to do. So it's a powerful word. So these five people or four people, in some cases, the pastors and teachers are considered a compound there. But bottom line is these individuals that have specific gifting from the Lord are there not to perform for people and let people watch them. They're there to equip people for ministry. If we don't understand that, we've missed the whole point of church. And so it's very huge. It's not just an incidental thing. It's not just an opinion. It is a straight fact from God's own word that, that, that ministry people are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And when you think about that, it's a multiplication of force. 
if just people that do things like I'm doing right now in public or the people doing the ministry, then it would be very, very difficult to reach culture. But when those of us that gather in these moments like this then move out with what we've heard and seen and felt and, and know, we begin to reach uh, the 120 people on average that we all have relationship with. And so that multiplies very, very quickly. And so you see the wisdom of God in this. And then moving forward with it, let me read the rest. Um, it says, until we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. Uh, I love the, the message version where it says, no prolonged infancies among us, please. You know, uh, if, if, if you know people that have a child that never grew up, you know, that child is just a problem, you know, for, for forever because they never grow up and take responsibility and, and enter into life as an adult. And in the church, we have that problem. And, and so what we're saying is that God wants us all to grow to a place where we are reproducing ourselves, where we are, we are accomplishing something in the big picture. So, no longer children, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So, we'll be rightly related to him and empowered by him, from whom, from Christ, from whom the whole body, listen now, Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying or building up of itself in love. This compact little piece of scripture right here is enough to change the world. It is God's plan. There isn't any other plan. So listen, what I want, want to introduce this just to, to you for a minute before I move on. I, I entitled this message, God's Massive Leap of Faith for a Reason. I imagine most of us feel that God is often asking us as believers to take what we might term a leap of faith, and that's true. But I doubt that the vast majority of us have ever really given much thought to the possibility that God would himself take a leap of faith. However, as we look at the scriptures today, I think you'll agree that he is. In fact, he is engaged in the most outrageous leap of faith imaginable, in my view anyway. God's vision for mankind's redemption could not be more gracious, nor I would suggest more urgent. Yet he places his trust in common everyday human beings like you and me to carry out the fulfillment of the dream that brought Jesus to earth. A dream so incredibly bold that it motivated him to die and make it, to make it possible, and which to this day requires his vigilance and constant oversight to bring it to fruition. Yet with all he continues to do, the dream of heaven is fragile in that it relies on the choices that we as individuals make to do our part and share his life with others. Think about that. God has no alternate plan. He is trusting that the Holy Spirit 
And the truth that he shares with us will motivate us to do what no one else is going to do. That's, that's shocking. I would have thought angels would be standing by to pick up the slack. But they're not. You and I have that responsibility. The scripture I read over in Ephesians, there talks to us about the responsibility that we have, the, the privilege that we have of being Christ bearers to the world. And we need to understand that it's normal that we would do so. I love the thought of, of the, the body growing together by every joint supplying. And, and I've always had that as a vision ever since I came here. God gave me that scripture and made it real to me. It made it so real. And thankfully, in the last few years, we've seen an explosion of, of um, volunteerism in the church and people doing what they can do to help other people. And as a result, the body edifies itself in love. It's amazing when we start doing for each other how the exchange is more than just the actions. It is love. Love just starts to flow because we're thankful for each other and we appreciate each other. And as we see things like that happen around us, it is amazing how close people become. They've experienced an unusual level of unity in this church for the last, I'd say, 18 years. And as a result of that, there are a lot of good things that happen and continue to happen, and we have very little drama. And that isn't always the case. But as we, as individuals, start to put into the thing our energies and our efforts, it's amazing how when we begin to take ownership for, for what's going on, it isn't just the church, it's us. You know, it's, it's easy to talk about the church and expect the church to do this and the church to do that. But again, it's cliche, I know, but who is the church? It's us. Corporately, it's, it's us. And it goes beyond this group. It goes to the other churches in the city, other churches in the region, and the other churches around the world. And so it's not a, a us for no more mentality. Friends, it is, it is a huge enterprise, and it's a joy and a blessing and an honor to be part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And God calls us all to be participants in that, and it's so much fun in many ways, and it's so awesome, and, and you're never going to outlive the blessing that comes from it, believe me. Now, the Scripture that I want to take you to and spend most of our time with today uh, is, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you would turn there with me and, or access it in your, your devices, whatever. Um, this is a powerful, this is the one that I mentioned earlier that Judson Cornwall talked about with the uh, uh, God in a Styrofoam Cup little brochure, and it comes from this passage right here. And I love it. I, there's so much here I could teach on. I've taught on it before. Uh, but let me just start in verse 18 of chapter 3. So, because you'll notice in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, therefore. And the rule of thumb is always, if you see a therefore, look a few verses back to see what it's there for. You know, that's what we call context. And you got to do that to understand what's being said. So here we are. It says, but with all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we've become reflectors, not generators of God's glory. Therefore, since we have this ministry, it's not we're hoping it can come someday, we have this ministry. As we have received mercy, God didn't do it because we earned it. He did it because of his mercy. 
We do not lose heart. We don't become discouraged because this is something that's granted to us. This is part of normal relationship, and we do not lose heart. We don't become discouraged and quit. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That liberates you. You don't live for what people think. You're just reflecting what you've seen. You're not generating it. You're just reflecting it. And if they can't handle it, it's not your problem. (laughs) Commending ourselves to every man's conscience. You can't see what a person's conscience is. You can hear their voice, you can see their demonstrations, you can see their displeasure, but the Spirit of God knows how to reach into every human heart and bring their conscience alive to hear and see what we are saying and becoming. You don't have to worry about that. You can be transparent in that way because we don't preach ourselves. That's the next thing he talks about. We don't preach ourselves, but Christ the Lord is not my gospel, it's His gospel. I'm not preaching myself. I'm not preaching my brand. It's not, I'm not preaching my particular set of rules. I'm preaching the gospel. It's amazing. That's verse 5. It tells us in verse 4 that if they can't hear us, it's because the, the God of this world has blinded their eyes, which is sad, but all we can do is show the truth. Verse 6, for it is God, I love this verse, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, styrofoam cups, if you will, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So if you think you're not much, (coughs) welcome. If you think you don't have it all together, if you don't think you're clever enough, if you don't think you're smart enough, if you don't think you're anointed enough, welcome. Styrofoam cups are throwaways. You don't think much about the cup. You just think about what's in the cup. And in the day we're talking about, an earthen vessel, a clay pot, was the cheapest, most throwaway, most, most pedestrian kind of, of equipment you could have in your home. But it was typical in every home that they made great use of these, of these cheap implements for life. In fact, if a young couple was setting up housekeeping, they would not go, they didn't have a Walmart they didn't have a Sam's. They didn't have any of those kind of places, but they would go to the potter's house. And they would say, we're setting up housekeeping. And, and he said, then you will need a vessel, a vessel that will go to the well. It was almost like a ceremony that he'd put them through. He talked about this vessel as almost as if it were a living thing. And you need a vessel that will go to the well because they didn't have running water. They had to go to the spring or the well that was usually in the, in the center of the city or on the, on the outsides many times as well. And uh, the ladies would usually go early in the day 
And they would bring with them a, a couple of things. They would bring, first of all, a, a vessel that would just about approximate that size and shape. And um, they would also bring a cup with them. And the idea was, uh, as the potter would tell them, it's designed to go to the well. This particular vessel would be taken and filled every day to bring water home for the family, nice, clean, fresh water. And along the way, the reason they brought a cup with them was that it was customary, since there wasn't a, a Dairy Queen or a McDonald's or anything, if you had somebody walking through town that was thirsty, they didn't even have water fountains. And so it was customary to ask a person that would be seen carrying one of these. Ladies usually carried. I was going to have Judy demonstrate this today. <laughs> and because the women always had to go to the well. They did the work, all the work back then like they do now. Anyway, so it would be common to ask the person carrying the vessel to let down their vessel and to give you a drink. It was just common. Common courtesy. In fact, when you went to anyone's home, you would see a table, roughly that size probably, inside every dwelling. And on it sits, sits a vessel like this and a cup like this so that anybody entering the house would be expected to take a drink whenever they needed one. This vessel was intended to go every day to the well, which is reminiscent of the idea of daily bread. It is not good enough to eat bread once a week. It's not good enough to drink water once a week. And the, the important thing was, in the, in the climates of the Middle East, and even here for that matter, this would get stale before very long. It would become, it would taste bad. It would smell bad and so forth. And so this vessel not only took in water, it was expected at the end of every day to pour out water. And that necessitated a second vessel that this water would be poured into whatever remained. This vessel would be used for other things, not for cooking, not for drinking, but for cleaning and so forth and so on. And interestingly enough, these vessels have very interesting names. And if you would, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, just for a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we find in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, these words. It says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. When the potter introduced the idea of this vessel to the young couple, he would say, ah, what you need is a vessel for honor. That was the name of it. A vessel for honor before it goes to the well. And here Paul picks up on that thought in, in 2 Timothy and says, in a great house there are vessels of all kinds, vessels for honor, of vessels for dishonor. The difference is this. These are identical. This used to be a vessel of honor. But at some point in time, it got stale. At some point in time, maybe it didn't go to the well as often as it should. And so as a result, 
inside this vessel, it began to be polluted with bacterias and various things just from sitting with its cargo of fresh water. So the point is this. The difference between this vessel, which is always receiving and pouring out regularly, and this vessel doesn't go to the well anymore. This vessel sits at the house and waits until it gets some secondhand water at the end of the day. No one wants to drink from this one. It has some uses. It would, it would save your life if you needed to drink it, but it's not really something that's desirable. And this vessel, unfortunately, doesn't have the ability anymore to transmit even fresh water without leaving a hint of something not so hot. Far too many of us wait for secondhand water. It's, it's, it brings sadness to my heart as a pastor. It brings sadness to the heart of God, I'm sure, because he has called every one of us to go to the well. Nobody's made for this job. This is the job of, uh, uh, that you, you, you inherit because of decisions and, and, and lethargy. It's just that way. It is important that we understand the stewardship of the vessel of honor, that it has what it has not to keep it or collect it or even be proud of it because it didn't generate it. This vessel is only a temporary container until it can be poured out, either in a cup to be used immediately or for other purposes, and then it goes right back to the well. As long as it's keeping on that schedule and going back to the well, this, this vessel will last a long time in this shape. The only thing that might, might need some treatment at some point in time is the area that's being handled, because that will create dirt and so forth and so on, bodily oils, you name it, and, and, and the process can begin, but usually it's on the outside as long as it's being refreshed on the inside. It's kind of like, has anybody here, anybody here ever been peopled? I mean, just people, 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 this, that, that, you know, all demands, demands, demands. You know, you can get to the point where you can get a little crusty. How many of you know what I'm saying? Huh? And there's a, there's a remedy for that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this guy over here, it's all inside. It's all in here. It's, it's, it's growing in here because the, the, the water that comes in here is going to be polluted to some degree because of the stuff inside that will flavor it. And, you know, that's not the end of the road either. There's another vessel. And it had the same... Genesis is this one, and this one, and this one has gone past the problem that's just a little bit bad. This one now is, is stinking up the place. In fact, this is what the Bible calls or refers to as the abominable vessel, because now it has become so polluted that it's only good for garbage. In fact, it needs to stay outside because it is just obnoxious. 
And you walk by this when you know what it is. I don't think I'll comment too much on this, but we, we all know people that when we get around them, if there's any gossip around, it's here. If there's any bitterness around, oh, you can find it here. And you feel it when you get around it. You, you smell it, quote, unquote, because it is really filling this vessel. There might be some water in here, but by now... Nobody will ever touch it, drink it, use it for anything. This is a garbage pail. I remember early on in my, in my ministry um, in a large church, you always have these little parties, party spirits of people. They like this and they don't like that. They like this person. They don't like that person. And I was a young pastor and I remember this person and several of them in a period of time coming to me and saying, you know, I really like it when you preach better than when our pastor preaches. It made me so mad. I had a vision of, of, that, of that vessel right there in my mind at the time. I said to them, don't you ever come dumping your trash in my trash can. It's not okay. Bitterness springs up and troubles many. It's an ugly thing when people start sharing their bitternesses and sharing their judgments and sharing all their stuff with everybody. It hurts families. It hurts churches. It hurts businesses. It hurts all kind of relationships. But you can, you can, you can know that if there's any of that floating around in your acquaintances, it will find its way to this vessel. Now, you know, God is so good that he doesn't just say, well, you made your bed, you can lie in it. At any point, this vessel, vessel can be restored. It has to go back to the potter, though. Go back to the potter's shack where it came from. You bring your vessel to him and you say, Sir, this vessel has really fallen, if you will, from its original purpose. And I wish to see it restored. And he would take it and he would look at it and he'd probably find his mark on it somewhere, realizing, yep, that's the one I made. And I made it for a different purpose than what I see here. And with your requests, we'll do what we can. So he would reach to the side of his potter's wheel and he would find a piece of pumice stone. Pumice stone is probably most of you know a volcanic stone that's very uh, porous and very, um, well, it, it can grind things. You know, it, it's very, very, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, what? Abrasive. Yeah, there we go. Like some people I've been around. Um, so, present company accepted. And he would take that, that pumice stone and he would reach down inside, you know, I'm sure he didn't enjoy that part because it's slimy and it's nasty, but he would reach down in there with water and a pumice stone and he would begin to scrape away the surface in that, in that vessel. And, you know, sometimes what, what, we're, 
what we've been marinating in seeps into the pores of us. And this is about the time when somebody said, well, this is just the way I am. And it is at that moment. But realize with me, that's not a permanent condition. You may be that way right now. But the potter's here. And he has a fistful of remedies. So he right now has a pumice stone. And he's reaming out this vessel. Uh, Sometimes, folks, has anybody here ever been reamed out by the Lord? Mm Mm-hmm. Just the people in the front. I don't understand that. <laughs> uh, when, when God convicts us, it hurts. It's nothing worse when somebody tells you the truth and it's not pretty. And down inside, our, our, our stomach is churning and we're, we're afraid, we're, we're mad maybe, whatever the case might be. The truth hurts sometimes. And God will, will let his potter's hand Touch the worst of us. And he might scrape some things out of us that have been there a long time. And he'll work on the outside too, if need be, which it would by now. It's, it's permeated the whole vessel. It's pretty much obvious on the outside what's on the inside. And so he will, he will scrape off everything he can. But because microscopic things can enter the pores... And they're little things, and we don't see them, but they have the potential to cause big problems. He knows that just scraping off what can be seen is not enough, and there's another process that needs to be undertaken. And so the potter then looks over his shoulder or wherever the kiln is to make sure the fire is going, and he places this vessel, freshly scraped, freshly raw, into the fire. And fires the pot again, and what the pumice stone can't touch, the fire can. Now, I had a great friend back in Phoenix, he was a counselor for some 40 years, you all probably heard me if you attend here much, say that, Bern McNally used to say, people don't change until the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of changing. I wish it weren't true, but it's pretty much true. And so the pain of the fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit will cleanse, it will burn out everything it touches as long as we submit to the fire. I mean, thankfully, this vessel can't jump out of the fire on its own. And you know something? Let me just say to you that the length of our stay in the fire is chosen by the potter. You can't always pray your way out of a fire. Sometimes you just got to let a fire have its perfect work. And when it's done, it's done. And if we've submitted to it properly, we'll be better off as a result of it. But this, this vessel, when it is taken out of the fire, oftentimes will have a crack or maybe several. And this is dangerous because out probably around or back of the potter's shack, there will be a pile of what's called potsherds, which basically are pieces of broken pots. Not every pot recovers. But it's in God's intention that they will. And so let's say that, that you come out of a, 
of a time of trial and the time of, of the fire of the Holy Spirit burning some things in your life, conviction, if you will, and you're broken. You, you just don't know if you can go on. You just don't know if there's any way you can make it, and, and you just, you're just not functional. You're not, you won't hold water, if you will, and that doesn't discourage the potter because he has a solution right on his, what, right on his wheel. Over here on this side, he has a, a, a vial of, of dust. It's basically ground-up pottery. Broken pots have healing properties. He picks up that vial, pours some of that into a container, and on the left-hand side, or one side or the other, he has another vial which contains blood. And this blood is a special kind of blood that comes from an insect called the Fakusa that lives on cattle in the Middle East. But it's very viscous and, and it's sticky. And he mixes this together in a, in a kind of a potion, if you will, and uh, then takes that vessel and begins to rub that solution into the cracks that have appeared in this vessel. And it's such a beautiful picture of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. The healing nature. He was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And it all involves flesh and blood, dust and blood, if you will, because he suffered so we wouldn't have to. He suffered for the healing of the nations. He suffered in the ways he did so he could be a faithful high priest to us who are touched by any kind of crack. So he rubs it in here. And he puts it back in the fire. It's fire again. It's tough. Sometimes medicine hurts. You know, when you get a cut, throw, throw some mercurochrome on it or you throw some um, alcohol on it and you're going to realize that cut isn't fun. But the good news is there's a cleansing taking place. Because if you don't do that, the infection is going to cause a bigger problem. It's so amazing to know that God has a restorative program for every single crack in our situation. In fact, what I love about that is when that vessel finally goes back into service, that scar tells everybody you survived. In the real world, it comes across like this, you know, uh, let's say you and your wife had, uh, or you and your husband had uh, a marriage that was coming apart, and um, the Lord began to convict each of you that it wasn't the other person's problem, it was your problem, and you got healed, got repaired, got restored. Well, forever and a day, that scar of the pain you went through and, and the testimony that people that knew you knew was going on serves to remind everybody that doesn't have to be terminal. And if you're the guy with the scar, you have a testimony now. So beautiful that Jesus only took really one thing with him back to heaven, and that was his scars. When we think about what they represent, 
We're encouraged. We're given hope. And what I'm, what I'm getting at here today is this, that no matter how far down the continuum you've gone, you can go back to the well. The well doesn't have any, any rules against cracked pots that have been healed. Do we have any cracked pots here today? <laughs> There's no rule against cracked pots going back to the well as long as they don't leak the precious water that they've been given. So the point's this. To avoid this continuum, let's don't be collectors of blessing, but let's be those who transfer blessing every day. Not just occasionally. It's a testimony of the Spirit. Now, yesterday we had a service for one of our longtime employees uh, that passed away last week, uh, Pat Hendricks. And Pat, we loved her. She was so much fun. She was so, so alive. She'd had a really rough upbringing. Really, really physically, she'd suffered immense problems over the years. Um, Spent two years in a body cast one time, and when she was 13, she had a, had a rod put in her spine because of scoliosis and had to be on one of those revolving tables for an entire year, if you can imagine at 13 or any time. And Pat had always, you know, she'd come through the uh, Catholic schools and really a rough family upbringing and all that, but when she got baptized in the Holy Spirit... Her husband and family remarked me several times these last few days. She became like a brand new person. She had known Jesus, but when she got baptized in the Holy Spirit, she started pouring out everywhere. They said, I, "Who is this person?" She would go to the grocery store and never before she got out of the grocery store, she's praying with somebody or sharing Jesus with somebody. And every time you saw her, she she just kind of bubbled over. She just was that kind of a person. And you know what? She was a cracked pot. She was hurting bad. Most people wouldn't have given her a nickel's chance of ever being that kind of a person. But when Jesus gets a hold of us and pours in the healing, it is amazing what we can be. We are designed in his image. We're designed for these kind of things. We're designed to be carriers of blessing, not just receivers of help. I grew up in a, in a culture, Christian culture, where that was basically what we were taught, get saved and then wait for heaven. That's what happens when this prog progression takes place. You're going to end up over here one day, or you're going to end up right here because so much has been poured into you, and you're, you're saying, well, you know, I'm just not being fed. God is not going to pour something into us that he can't see passed on. We're not here to collect information about God. We're here to share what we found. So I need to be more concerned uh, with how much I'm giving out not how much I'm taking in. 
Because my ability to take in is directly related to my willingness to pour out. Amen or oh me. See, I, I just, I wish I could just, I wish I could just open up your hearts today and, and show you what I've seen. I'm going to give you one story as I close. You've heard it probably before. When I was in Phoenix, I conducted a school of ministry for a couple of years right before I came here. And um, there was a lady that had come to our church. Her name is Bobby. And she had been an executive, uh, well, in fact, she was a business owner. She was an entrepreneur that created the line of cosmetics that made lots of money in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, when she came to Phoenix to live with her mom, she had suffered a tremendous uh, traitorous thing in her company, and her partner had stolen the company from her somehow. And she was now broke, where she'd been virtually a millionaire before And when I first met her, she was a a 30-something, very pretty, very intelligent, but she was so catatonic, she could hardly function. Her head was always down, and she was just like there, just like a vegetable almost. She'd come and sit in my Wednesday night class, and I would swear she was asleep. I have ability to put people to sleep, but nevertheless, (laughs) she she looked like she was asleep a lot of the time for a couple of years in that class, and and finally I announced this uh, school of ministry. And Bobby signed up. I was shocked. And she was there for two years with us. And, and when it came time to graduate, she came to me the last week of class. And uh, one of my rules was that if you're going to take this class and you're going to graduate, then you will have to do some public service, some Christian service of some sort. And every week I'd have an have a option for them, an opportunity for them on my, uh, my uh, ministry du jour board. You know, you just you t- take your pick. It's like the soup board, you know, in the, in the restaurant. And so she came to me the last week, and she's crying. And she's been so faithful. I mean, probably every week she was there for two years. And um, she came to me, and she said, Pastor, she's crying now. She's crying, really emotional. And she says, Pastor, I, I want to graduate so bad, but I haven't done my ministry yet. I says, Bobby, you're in luck. Here's one right here. And it's teaching three-year-olds. Sunday school, one time. And she just, her countenance dropped. She says, I hate children. (laughs) She hated them so bad that she had petitioned the state of Ohio back in the day to be sterilized so she would never take a chance on having one of those things. We're serious here. Serious. She has no interest in kids. She hates them. <laughs> she was one earlier on, but you think you should have some compassion. Um, and I said, Bobby, the rule is the rule. How bad could it be? One hour or less with three-year-olds. They won't know if you did a good job or not, probably. <laughs> And she hemmed and hawed and cried and snorted, and and finally she said, all right. On Friday, this was on a Monday night, on Friday, I heard that she'd been down there doing something all day long in that three-year-old class. And they said, you don't believe what she's done. 
She has put the whole galaxy in our ceiling. Every constellation, everything. She had put this massive thing together for these three-year-olds that she hates. <laughs> she had this amazing setup down there, and I could not wait to see what was going to happen on Sunday. And I saw her that Sunday afternoon after she finished her, her presentation to those three-year-olds. She was on fire. I mean, she was on fire. The, 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 the downcast face, the, the, the sense of doom and gloom and depression was gone immediately. She got so excited. She was, as God was pulsing through her, as she was pouring out, she'd never poured before. She just sucked up everything that could be poured in. Today, she poured out, and she poured out. And what happened to her, and I see her every so often when I go to Phoenix still, she's the same vibrant person that I saw on that Sunday afternoon after she taught some three-year-olds. She went back to college. She got a teaching degree (laughs) and taught in our Christian school for $16,000 a year. Big bucks. But what I'm trying to say is the turning point was not somebody laying hands on her and counseling her ad infinitum or ad nauseum. The key was she stopped being a repository for blessing and became a distributor. A distributor. Something every one of us are called to do. Who wants to be a vessel of honor or dishonor when you can be a vessel of honor? Who wants to have the Lord pouring into you continually except you've got to give it away to have that happen because it only holds so much. And the distance between what we have received in terms of truth and what we give away in terms of truth is a big deal. For to know to do good and do it not, to that person it is sin.